seated. Let me join in with the uh, congratulations to all the mothers for Mother's Day. It's good to have my mother-in-law, Joyce Markham, with us here today. She made it possible for my wife and I and Emma and uh, the Bowers as well to take a trip to PA to Sight and Sound Theater for Emma and Joel's eighth grade um, trip. They'll be graduating here in another couple weeks from Covenant, and time has flown. But uh, the partner I have in ministry, we didn't have a sound person today, and she said, I'm going to do it. So that's the kind of woman I married. Wonderful, wonderful partner in ministry, and so thankful for her. Today's sermon is entitled, Past Splendor or Future Glory. Lee, if you can bring up the lights. Um, we, uh, we are in Haggai. We're going to be in Haggai chapter 2 today. And I want us to take a quick trip back to 1985. Those of us that can do that while still existing. 1985, a movie came out called The Goonies. And it's a movie about a group of misfit kids who are being vacated from their homes as a land developer is forcing all the homeowners out. And so they're on the verge of losing their home. They're on the verge of possibly losing their friendship and they don't want to leave. And they come across an old treasure map. And they decide that this treasure map could lead them to a pirate treasure. And so they're going to go on this adventure and hopefully find money to save their homes. And so they have a pretty shaky start, but they find themselves in a familiar place. At the bottom of the town wishing well. They first think they've finally found the treasure when they show up at the bottom of the wishing well because they see all these coins. And then they notice that there's Lincoln and Washington and Jefferson on the coins. And at the top of the well, yelling down are the local jocks, whose parents are the ones who are trying to, to push everyone out. And uh, they're stuck at a crossroads. Do they continue to search for this pirate treasure? Or do they go up this wishing well bucket and get res rescued to face the mockery of Troy, he's like the head jock, and the other jocks? Or do they continue the search as hopeless and as pointless as it seems? Now, the unsung hero of the group, Mikey, the eternal optimist, gives a speech that spurs his fellow goonies onward. And he says, don't you realize that the next time you see sky, it'll be over another town? The next time you take a test, it'll be in some other school? Our parents, they want the best stuff for us. But right now, they got to do what's right for them because it's their time. It's their time. Down here, it's our time. It's our time. It's our time down here, and that's all over the second we ride up Troy's bucket. So like the kids in the Goonies, we as a church are at a critical juncture as well. Do we throw in the towel and give up because others have tried and failed before? Do we blaze a trail as God leads us to embrace the fact that this time is ours. It's our time, right? If you remember last week, God challenged us to stop waiting to restore the worship and the community and the outreach at Covenant. COVID and all the other things going on around our world kind of has us in a reset mode. And so we're, we're reforming our lives and our families and our communities. And, and you know, we 
inflation's up, but we've gotten stimulus money, and, and so many of us were stuck working from home, and so we did renovations to our house, and, and all the rest. And so we're in this process of reevaluating and reworking our lives. He wants to take us to a place of urgency and allowing the fear of the Lord to break our complacency. We talked about how waiting to feel like it doesn't work. <laughs> waiting to feel like doing the right thing or, or getting passionate for Jesus. The feeling won't come. It's the Holy Spirit that brings the enthusiasm when we step out in obedience. And so as we pick up in Haggai chapter 2, it's been roughly a month since God has used Haggai to call the people to start building the temple. So they've put a month's work in. And now God has another message for them. Haggai 2, chapter 1. I mean, Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, Then on October 17th of that same year, the Lord sent another message to the prophet Haggai. Say this to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Yeshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of God's people there in the land. Does anyone remember this house, this temple, in its former splendor? How in comparison does it look to, now, to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. So, God sends Haggai to deliver a message to Zerubbabel and to Jeshua and to the people. 23 days after that call, they start building the temple. Now it's 26 more days of construction. What can you get done in 26 days in the ancient world in construction that there's anything to evaluate? The simple answer is the foundation, right? Jeff, our home inspector, foundation is super important, right? Get the foundation wrong, the rest of the structure can easily fall apart. So the foundation is laid, and it may seem smaller or simpler or less impressive than the Temple of Solomon. It doesn't stand up to the memory of the previous temple. And there are some 70-plus-year-olds in the group that remember the glory of Solomon's temple because God asked them, does anyone remember this house, this temple, in its former glory? How, in comparison, does it look to you now? This passage is so interesting to me because God invites them to remember and compare. Now, we, we talk a lot about comparison in this church because we have a, a saying, a slogan that has become part of our DNA, and it's comparison kills grace, right? Comparison is dangerous. When you compare yourself to other people or our church to other church, you can feel less or inferior. That's why Facebook and Twitter and some of these other things can be so destructive to your life because you find yourself constantly comparing your life and your journey and your accomplishments to other people. And yet, here in this passage, Jesus, in, I mean, God invites them to compare. It's so interesting. And so he says, look at your labor of 26 days and compare it to the temple of Solomon. What do you think? And then he answers his own question. The result of your labor must seem like nothing at all. A meaningless exercise, a fruitless endeavor. It's no comparison at all, really, to the previous glory of the temple. Now, I don't know if the foundation of the previous temple was that much better. I mean, uh, if you look 
uh, even in Jerusalem today, there are some tours that you can take where you can see some of the foundation stones for the temple are massively huge. It's, it, you even wonder how they even quarried it and got it in there. Um, I don't know if sometimes your memory makes the past better than it was. Anybody guilty of that? Allowing your memory to make the past better than it was? Anyway, they feel like failures as they compare the two temples. In fact, not everybody feels that way. Some do. The book of Ezra is kind of the companion piece to Haggai. And so as you read and study Haggai on your own this week, look at Ezra as well, because it's spoken from a different perspective. And so here in Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, we have a different perspective of the same moment. It says, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good, His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept out loud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. Isn't that true of our church as well? Anytime God does something great, there can be a mixture of, oh, this reminds me of previous times and, and people who are gone or, or what God's done before. And then those who are new to our fellowship or haven't experienced those things before are just full on experiencing the fullness of the moment because they have nothing to compare to. The start of something new seems small and insignificant compared to the completion of something prior. It's the danger of comparison. I know we all struggle with that. I, I find myself many times as a pastor comparing myself to the other pastors in my life. My uncle, my brother, my dad. And I have to constantly remember that my memories of my dad leading this church growing up was him about my age. And so he was through a process of bringing him to that point. He wasn't there in an instant. Um, it took time. And so this is true. Either something you've done or your ancestors have done before you. So God knew in their hearts that they were going to compare. He says, do it. If you're going to compare, go ahead and do it. I'm allowing you to compare in this situation. He says, look at the old pictures. Look at the newspaper clippings. Look at all those things. Listen to the old stories of how great the temple used to be. Measure your one month's work to the seven years it took to create this temple. Measure your one month's work compared to the 430 years that temple was in existence. Go ahead. You want to do it? Do it. Your one month is nothing, but it's not a fair comparison. So why do we do it? Why do we compare our ministry, our lives, our church, and our calling to future, to previous generations? I think because we tend to be negative, to be honest. 
We want some sort of affirmation. We want some sort of immediate gratification. Our culture is ten times worse than previous cultures when it comes to that, right? It, it, it is. And so we immediately compare. It crushes our spirit. It causes us to want to quit. But God's exercise in this comparison wasn't to discourage the people. It was to do the exact opposite. So look what happens here. He invites us to compare, knowing what it will do to their spirit. He says, yeah, seems like you're doing nothing. Seems like it's a pointless endeavor. We'll hear what I have to say next. But now the Lord says, be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Yeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people still left in the land, and now get to work. For I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. My spirit remains among you, just as I promised when you came out of Egypt. So do not be afraid. He says, now. Don't skip that three-letter word. But now the Lord says. What is He saying to us now? The past is the past, and we are now in the present. We need to be concerned only for what God is trying to tell us now. And the message is what? Be strong! Be strong! Be strong! When you're making comparisons with what God has done in the past, it's easy, so easy to despair as you start to think of, well, who do we not have that we had before? Remember God had specific artisans designed and gifted by the Holy Spirit to create the previous temple? Where are they? Where are the craftsmen and the evangelists and the preachers and the teachers? I can even right now name a list of names of oaks of righteousness from this church that were a huge part of what God's done in here in the past that are no longer with us. From Dan Pacifico to Shanta Shastri, Bon Slusser, Jack Poling, Marlene Tennant, Alice Tichnell, Howard Hall, David Turner, and Steve Smith. And I mentioned it, that's like 5% of all the ones that have done amazing things in this church. And the list can go on and on. I could spend the rest of the sermon listing names of people who have done amazing things in this place. And so when God does something new, you can't help but mourn those individuals. You can't help that. You can't notice that they're missing now. And yes, those were amazing people that, that did amazing things for Jesus. And they're in His presence right now, encouraging us onward. But they did what they did in their time. What they were supposed to do. That was their time. Their time. Now this is our time. Our time. Now that he names Zerubbabel and Yeshua by name. Let me tell you, he knows your name. He knows your name. Now, you may not be Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or Joshua or, or Caleb or any of those individuals. You may not be a, a William Carey or an Adoniram Judson or a Billy Graham. Again, that comparison here. I'm nothing compared to those guys. But you know what? You are who God designed you to be, and He knows you by name, and you have a calling and a place now to accomplish God's good work. Be strong! 
But I also believe there's a more subtle message to this comparison. As beautiful and as luxurious and as awesome as the old temple was, where is it now? Where is it now? All the old accomplishments and great things in, in covenant's history from 1984 and on, where are some of those things now? Where are some of those ministries now? Gone. Some of them a heap. Some of them destroyed. Yes, it can never be rebuilt the same way again, but does God want that? Does God want us to rebuild the way covenant was before? Or does he have a new plan from this point forward? Huh. And why was it destroyed? Why was the old temple destroyed? Number two, God cares more about faithful, obedient people than appearances. Just, just soak that sentence in. <laughs> Breathe it in. Well, I'm not famous. I'm not well-known. I don't care. God says, I don't care. I don't care about appearances. I care about who you are. As beautiful as that temple was and as, a, as perfect as it seemed to the people who were responsible for that temple, it had deep flaws of unfaithfulness and disobedience that led to its destruction. So it's okay to remember what God has done in the past and, and, and the power of things done there. But don't decry the new things that God wants to do. What he is doing now may seem far lesser, but it'll last longer if we are faithful. Do you guys want to be a flash in the pan? Do you want to fill this place up and, and, and be a, a mile long and an inch deep? Do you want the whole town to know who covenant is? And yet when we die, there's not a generation that comes out of this church that follows Jesus. Or, would you rather not proclaim your good works before men? Go deeper. Not care about appearances and just purely seek out Jesus with all that we are. Work more on our root system than what other people can see, so we build something that lasts for generations. I believe we're here because those names that I listed before had that kind of a vision. I just went to the Sight and Sound Theater, as I said, with my wife and daughter and, and the Bowers, and uh, the play that was at the theater was David. A little did I know that the play's message would be the second point to the sermon that I'd written days prior. God has a way of doing that. Now, the play, my kids, I love them. I love Joel and I love Emma because they've been taught how to study the Bible inductively. They know God's Word. And so much of that is attributed to you teaching them in this place. But they were listing all the faults and flaws 
in the storyline. That wasn't in scripture, and that's not how that person, like they were, so, so yeah, it wasn't perfect. But the guiding message of the play was that David was who he was because of his clear and pure worship of God. And Saul didn't have that. And Saul in the play gives David a warning. He says, yes, you're going to be the next king, but be careful because when you mess up and you're imperfect, God's going to be done with you. That was his perspective in the play. And David, you know, goes through exile, and, you know, he's, he's a refugee, he's, he's, he's hiding out in caves, and, and, and he, during all those difficult times, he's just, he has this amazing relationship with God. But then, once he becomes a king, there's the expectations of what a king does, right? There's the work of the king, living up to some sort of appearance, And so he loses over time the priority of his relationship with God, and he starts doing what kings are supposed to do and wears himself out to the point where he's susceptible to temptation and and sleeps with Bathsheba and kills her husband, all the rest, right? But the difference between Saul and David was when, when conviction was brought on David through the prophet Nathan, he understood, oh, I have become something that I'm not. I appear to be this great king, but in my heart of hearts, I'm desperately wicked and far from God. Do not cast your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. He repents and changes and becomes made new again. Guys, that is us. Do not be tempted to pursue appearance, but become the reality of a passionate pursuit of Jesus. As God is building this church and laying the foundation, we're already assessing last week's sermon seven days later, not 26 days later, and God's message to us is do not compare Because what I'm going to do in your day and in your time is new. It's new. And I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care what it appears to anyone else. I want reality. And for a good foundation to be laid, it takes time to make sure all your angles and corners are right. I want that. I want that from you. We don't need to be afraid. What he is calling us to today and in the days to come, he is able to accomplish. Remember last passage, chapter 1 of of Haggai, when he has to put the fear of God in them? He keeps referring to himself as the Lord of heaven's armies. Where did we stand in, in, in conjunction to the Lord of heaven's armies, right? Lord of Heaven's armies was against us. You are being disobedient. You're making your extravagant houses great, but my house is in disrepair. It was to cause us to realize, oh, we're not where we need to be, and we better get right quick. But in this passage, the Lord of Heaven's armies is behind us, and they have joined His ranks as He's charging ahead. 
And so the point of the passage is in spite of our unfaithfulness and our disobedience, God's Spirit remains with us. He's with us. How can we be strong? How can we not fear? The Lord of Heaven's army is behind us. What's there to be afraid of? We can accomplish anything He calls us to. The same Spirit that accomplished the impossible with the ten plagues in Egypt and everything forward, the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is alive in us. Guys, why aren't we shouting right now? Why are we making such a noise that outside they're saying, what is going on in that church? This is the truth. This should inspire us and move us and cause us to throw off everything that has hindered our growth. We are the next chapter of what God has been writing since the beginning of time. And we are nearing the end times. And what we do now has repercussions all the way until the point where that trumpet sounds. So do not decry the small things from a small church in Morgantown, West Virginia. We don't need to be afraid what He is calling us to do today and in the days to come, He can accomplish. I love that. See, so the other thing with the sight and sound theater to me, because it's an amazing production, I encourage anybody to go that has an opportunity. I know I'm late to the game because most, many of you have already gone. Um, but what, I, what stood out to me is I'm sitting there watching this lights and fog and, and stage circle. I mean, it's just crazy. I leaned over to Emma and I said, you know the beauty of the biblical story is all of this happened without lights and fog and music and stage and scenery. God steps into our difficult, painful, broken moments and does the miraculous and the impossible. And the rest of the world can be oblivious to it all, but He is with us. For this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth, the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. How many times has the Lord of Heaven's armies been repeated? He's trying to get a point across. And in this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. So, guess what, guys? I got news for you. There is a shaking coming. Bigger than COVID. Yay! Right? <laughs> Another shaking. A world shaking. Cataclysmic. The the structures, nations will fall apart. Everything that we know will be torn asunder. All, all our, our programming, all, all the things that we do day after day will change and God's going to be in charge of it. What are we doing now is preparing us for the treasure coming our way. And what is that treasure? What is eternal treasure that lasts beyond this life? People. People. P 
people searching for hope and trapped by fear who will be called by God to covenant. And we will be ready to receive them into our family. So, I know. Recession's going on. In PA, the gas was four fifty nine. Crazy. Everything's going up in price. Um, there's lots of room to be fearful. Lots of, of things to just focus on our family and take care of ourselves. But Jesus is saying, be strong. Don't be afraid. And I'm causing the shaking. And I can take care of you. All the silver is mine. And all the gold is mine. You're good. So, what should we do? Get ready for eternal treasure. (laughs) If the shaking occurs today, are you solid enough with Jesus that you will not be shaken and you will be ready to receive those who are looking for answers and you can say, here's Jesus. Here's Jesus. Now, is this church going to save all of Morgantown? Or all? No. No. But we're going to reach some. I want to make sure that we're ready that everyone that comes in that door is going to see truly who Jesus is in us. That's what I want. I want, when we open those doors every Sunday or Wednesday and you leave, for the Holy Spirit to be fully empowering you to go out, So that there's a light in your workplace and a light in your home and a light in your neighborhood and a light to your extended family. God is going to do that. Something in our day that he has never done before. Will it look like the passive covenant? No. Is it supposed to? No. It's its own. It's its own. And so, guys, when my season and time at Covenant is done and gone, and you may still be here, remind the pastor and the leadership, don't compare. He was who he was for that season. This church was who they were for that season. Now let's embrace what God has for us now. So the rebuilding started for Israel was began with people restoring their lives, and God has been restoring our lives. Um, they got off track. I think in some ways we got off track. We got our priorities wrong. Um, and so the reality is you can search the rest of your life for earthly stability and comfort and satisfaction. You're not going to have it, guys. You're not going to have it. Do you know how I know this? Take a mission trip. See what the people have in those third world countries. See what they experience, the joy that they have in comparison. And you'll realize really quickly, uh, I'm doing it this the wrong way. It may seem small and insignificant now, but what God wants to do now will result in fruit greater than the fruit of the past. And, And again, how do we know this? Pastor, how do we know this? how do I know you're not giving me empty hope and empty promises? The rest of the world promises stuff and it doesn't satisfy. How do I know? Because God has spoken. God has spoken. Isn't that enough? Not Pastor Nate has spoken. God has spoken. To quote my brother and one of my heroes in the faith, Howard Hall, 
I may not be the smartest man, most educated, but what the Bible says, I believe it and I live it, and that's enough. God has spoken. So let's get to work. Amen? Amen? Lord Jesus, as we hear you, as we hear you, and you've invited us to compare this morning our lives to those that have gone before, our accomplishments to what you've done in the past at Covenant, Lord. It's easy to despair. It's easy to cry and to mourn. And God, if I'm honest, I've heard those tears. I've heard those cries from people in this church that have mourned what is, what is missing and what is lacking. But Lord, your call today is to be strong and do not fear and embrace our time now. It's our time. Let us do and be and embrace all that you've called us to do and to be. Thank you, Jesus, for my family. Make us who we're supposed to be for those treasures, those eternal treasures who will be coming. Change our heart. Change our perspective. In your name we pray. Amen. We have one more song uh, that we're going to sing as we prepare um, before we leave. And I, I'm going to open the altar up to you. Leah, if you would play Same Power. I'll, I can get it. I got it. Um, uh, as, we, as we have, let's take this time to reflect. And then I, I chose this song specifically because that's, that's what he's saying is, the same Holy Spirit is with you. So don't be fearful. And, uh, and let God encourage you here in this moment. Because he knows you. He knows every doubt. He knows every fear. And he's ready to strengthen you because the Lord of heaven's army is behind you.